Welcome to episode 34 of Hair Biz Radio with your host, Zakira. And we have Shay Rodriguez kicking it with us again today, yes. co-hosting with me. So I'm super excited to have her. And today on Hair Biz Radio, we have a special guest, Miss <laughs> Panay Ak Peru. And her resume is so long. She is so <laughs> inspiring from what we've read so far. She is a new author, award-winning international celebrity stylist and salon owner. She's been seen on some of your favorite stylists and your favorite channels, Bravo, BT, WeTV, VH1, and her work has been featured in magazines like Ebony, Essence, Upscale, Forbes, and she's been able to grace some amazing clients that we all know and love. Deborah Lee of BT, the Clark Sisters, Whitney Houston, Mary Mary, and her godfather, the late great Barry White. Just from reading her bio, she has been through so much in life and she has also accomplished just as much. So she's definitely an inspiration. I'm super glad to have her hanging out with us today. How are you, Miss Panay? I'm wonderful and I'm so thankful to be here. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes. So we can um, go ahead and dive right into the interview. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself, your backstory, where you're from, how you got inspired to get into the hair industry. Well, I've been in the business now professionally for like 35 years. Mm -hmm. And I got inspired to do hair from my mother. My mother was a hairstylist. And when I was five years old, the reason why I chose to get into this industry was not about fame or money. It was about Changing lives. Yeah. So we were in the hood. She was doing a lot of women that had hardship, a lot of pain and was going through a lot. And when they got out of her chair, when I tell you, they were transformed. And I knew at five that that's what I wanted to do, to be in the industry to help change lives. So from there, about nine years old, I started assisting her in the salon. And um, 11 years old, my own clientele started. Mm -hmm. And by the time I was 19, I was a salon owner. 11 years old. Yeah, 11. <laughs> what kind of hairstyles were you doing at 11? I was doing relaxers, ultra sheen relaxers and wow. roller sets and pressing <laughs> curls and braids with beads. Yes. <laughs> yes. So my mom and my grandmother and aunties were all entrepreneurs and just really stressed the importance of being an entrepreneur, stressed the importance of making sure you do your own thing and pulling your gift out of you and allowing that to be your path of being prosperous. Yeah. <laughs> when did you actually go and get your license to do hair? I got my license when I graduated from high school. Mm -hmm. I had a scholarship to go to Empire Beauty School. And I went there and I got my operators, managers, and my teacher's license. So I dived right in to be a professional, you know, because of where I was from, it was a lot of kitchen stylists. I was going to mm -hmm. ask you yeah, that. Did so you really feel like you needed <laughs> yeah, to get I, your license? Did, did you always want to? Or did there ever come a time where you were like, man, I don't need this because I've been doing it since I was 11. Like, it's not <laughs> yeah. No, my mom always stressed it because she was in a salon and at home, you mm -hmm. know. And so where I was from, everyone did hair in the kitchen, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of people. So I thought it was important because I always understood business as well. And I was like, I don't want to be sneaking and hiding and being scared <laughs> and all that. And I always, always had a business savvy about myself because I come from the hood, come from hustlers, come from that lifestyle. So it was like. I wanted to hustle my game and also be in business. And the collaboration, you know, would have more respect. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to do something that set me aside, and that was to be in business and then understand that my gift would take me to the next level. So, yeah, it was very important to, for me to have my license because no one had their license. Yeah. <laughs> like my mom never had license, and she had a clientele, and, and she was great at what she was doing. The only thing that she was missing was the license. 
So she really stressed that for me. And that's, yeah, it's very important. <laughs> so when it comes to um, going to hair school, because they don't teach you everything in hair school. No. So what is like your favorite technique that you learned on your own outside of hair school? I would say my favorite technique is a physical technique, mm -hmm. and that is customer service. Yeah. 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 Um, I, <laughs> I appreciate I feel, that. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, seriously, I feel like school teaches you, it brings out your gift. Like, a lot of times, most people that go to beauty school are, they already know how to do hair a little mm -hmm. bit, and then they help you with the theory, you yeah. know. But what beauty school doesn't teach you is that how important customer services mm -hmm. and how important financial wisdom is yeah. and how important managing your emotion is to the game and how important and making sure that you look amazing and that you feel amazing because we are touching people and we're changing their lives. But a lot of times you put your own life on the back burner serving others and then that yeah. can burn you out real quick in this mm -hmm. industry because that has happened to me. Yeah. So you talked about before you said it's not just about hair, it's about changing people's lives. Yes. And I think a lot of times, you know, when people get into their careers or they start businesses, sometimes it can be all about the money. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that kind of helped you stay on track with that particular vision that you had, even when the money wasn't flowing in when you first started? When the money wasn't flowing in when I first started, what kept me on track is knowing that the character of the person was changing when I did their hair, mm -hmm. keeping that in the forefront, yeah. keeping God first in my life and understanding that even though I wasn't making a lot of money, the customer was so important to me. So it was like keeping them first after God and making sure that I'm pleasing God with my work, not trying to impress people, not trying to keep up with people, not running no race with nobody, just making sure that as a hairstylist, understanding because I can say most people that do hair, it's like real natural, yeah. you know, and where that come from? God. And so it was always like, no matter what I was doing, there wasn't no money and I didn't have a lot of fame and a lot of attention. I was just like trying to show God, I, I appreciate you. Yeah. Let me. And then the head was, and the styling was like a canvas. And I'm like, the art of it, that is what kept me motivated, making sure that the customer was happy. Yeah. I think when you have a mindset like that, like your customer automatically becomes a walking billboard for yes, you. Definitely. So what I do want to ask you is when you transitioned from 17, 18, still working in the kitchen till 19 and you have your own business, what marketing practices did you put into place to now pay for this overhead, this other expense that you have to pay for as a business owner? Well, we didn't have all this social media back then, of course, yeah. I'm 55 <laughs> in a few days. Um, me. I made sure that I was my walking billboard. Yeah. I've always kept my hair and my makeup together, no matter. I mean, they'll tell you at 11 years old, I'd already arched my eyebrows, colored my hair. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I've been wearing a red <laughs> lip since 14. Uh, <laughs> this is my brand. <laughs> and I was the walking billboard for who I was and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve. Yeah. You know, I had a dream inside of me. I've always watched television and movies and they were, you know, they empowered me, you know, mm -hmm. to see the beautiful women of all colors, like Leva the Beaver's mom. She <laughs> always was walking around the house with a lip and her hair all done, you know, <laughs> Diana Ross and a lot of other people in television. And they inspired me. And so if I, that was my dream to get to that level, to be in television. So I wanted to look like them. And so we had to go hand and foot to go make things happen for yeah. ourselves. So it was me. I always just kept me together. I always believed that look good, feel good, do good. Yeah. It first started with me. And that was what did it. At 7, 8 o'clock in the morning when no one else was made up, I knew the power of that. 
if you're going to the grocery store at 9 a.m., no one's going to be made up. So I said, why don't I be fully made up with my hair done at that time? And people will gravitate to me. And that's how I got my clientele built up. Just like staying yeah. on point, staying on 10 all day long. No days <laughs> on off. 10. No days off. Always on 10. So being 11 years old, getting started in the industry, did you ever have those moments where you were looking for clientele or you were wanting people to allow allow you to do their hair yeah. did you ever have those she's no reason i'm going there where it's like oh my god you're 11 years old i like, was I 11 want... years old and i cared about my outer appearance at such an early age because i dealt with abuse at an early age mm-hmm. and so not to get too deep in that yet but to say i covered my pain with my makeup and hair at such a young age because i dealt with abuse early on and i that, you know, when people see something, women especially, they want it, you know. And I, I knew that early on to be a billboard for myself, to gravitate people to me. So I've never had trouble, never had trouble getting a clientele. I never had trouble. It was always, I knew the power of God. I knew I had a dream inside of me. I knew what I wanted to do. And I, no matter what I was going through, I made moves through the madness and understood that if we're visual. And if we see we like your hair, then we want that. You mm-hmm. know, we see we like the way you wear your makeup. Who did that? And I say I did. You know, so I never had trouble because I understood if you saw even if it, you take the product and change it to ice cream, if it looks good and, it, and, and people's talking about it, then they're going to want it. Yeah. You know, so it just I never had trouble in that because honestly, God was always first. Yeah. And I prayed and I believed that that I'm supposed to be doing this. And a lot of people know their gift and talent early, but they Mm -hmm. have allowed their life's challenges just to get in the way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I was special or different. We all have it. It's just that that voice I knew. You know, saying that that voice and knowing your dream and knowing that you needed to keep yourself as a billboard Mm -hmm. for all of those years and even up until now, I think it's such... It's so different because I think it's a running joke that you see a lot of beauticians in their shop and their hair's not done. Oh, and yeah. they're not together. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, maybe she's really good because she's really not together. So like, <laughs> I, I remember when I was back home, I'm from up north too. And I was back home. I used to kind of gauge it off that like, oh, her hair's not done. Well, maybe she doesn't have time to do her own hair because she's doing everybody else's hair. Like, okay, I'm going to go with that. Like, that's going to make me feel better. But to walk in and see someone already made up, like... I just imagined how much better I would feel like I'm in good hands. Because if she cares about what she looks like, she's definitely going to care what I look like when I'm walking out of here. And being in the hair industry, I always just looked at other businesses. Because when you're a woman in business, Mm -hmm. then business is business. Yeah. And so what made me really concentrate on making sure that I look good, feel good, do good behind the chair no matter what. And to use that to build my business was if you just went anywhere, if you went to McDonald's and that person didn't have their hat on or their hair groomed under or they didn't look good, you'd rather that person over there wait on you that look pretty good. Yes. <laughs> so you just take those same strategies. You just want someone to wait on you and serve you. That's how you build yourself, yeah. you know, by gravitating them to you that way without even saying anything. If you look amazing, people are just going to be drawn to you. Definitely. So being 19 with your first salon, what were some of the obstacles or struggles that you had to endure when getting the salon? So as far as like building a brand or the building or contractors or whatever that looked like. My first salon, some of the obstacles that I had was I didn't really read her well. I wasn't very smart in school when Mm -hmm. it came to comprehending and all. And I wasn't I didn't have business savvy because I 
knew my gift so early and I was blessed to have a clientele so early, no one really helped me with that area. I was so great at what I did in my gift that they forgot I had a purpose to kind of live out and try to be in business. They were like, everyone just did everything for me, Mm. and which handicapped me Mm -hmm. even more. So your gift can kind of cripple you, you know? And so it's like, oh, she's doing hair and she's making money. So, okay, so what? She's not reading it, comprehending well. She's amazing. She's making money and she's changing people and she's helping people. But that's the biggest obstacle I had. I didn't understand business. I didn't understand making so much money at an early age. You're talking about anywhere at 19 years old, I was doing anywhere from 15 to 25 clients a day with three, mm. three assistants wow. at that age. So no one could tell me anything too. I'm making money. I'm doing hair. Yeah. I got my first bins. I'm doing this, this and that. And I was hard headed too. Cause I was like, Money solves all the problems. You don't have to have a good character. You don't have to, you know, do well with your money because it's never going to go away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so the biggest obstacle was my character was not in place because I wasn't living past the pain that I was enduring. So mm-hmm. I suppressed that by having all the money, over shopping, overeating, overspending. And financial wisdom really was the biggest thing. I had a lot of money, but I wasn't doing the right things with it. And I didn't utilize customer service. My that part, it was hard. As far as the business go, you can hire people to do things for you. The biggest problem is not knowing about the business yourself. Yeah. I didn't take time to do that. So I ended up losing in, at the end. That makes me think of, I was watching a couple weeks ago, uh, Jada Pinkett Smith read Table Talk. Oh, I love and those. she was <laughs> talking to, um, they were talking about her daughter Willow. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Willow was saying how hard of a time she was having when Whip My Hair came out. And Jada was saying, even, you know, when Jaden was going through some things, she was saying like her and Will's parenting strategy was to make sure they had the money and they were good so that if anything went wrong, they had the money so they could with endure any of the suffering that they were going through, but they would be set. And I think in our community, when we see someone with a gift, we will go ahead and cripple them a little yeah. bit by helping them so much to get past what we think is minuscule and compared to the monetary gains and the money. Yeah. And that's something because I feel like we don't feel like we have that monetary stability. So if we see that coming up, we're like, yes, yes. put all the money on her, get her to where she needs to get to regardless of how it hurts her in the future. Because someone else got my business license for me. Someone else went down and handled my wow. business. Because you you, know, you have money, you just pay everybody to do everything. I just yeah. hire people to do stuff. I don't need to understand it. That was the biggest thing. The obstacle was I didn't understand. All I wanted to do was do hair. So I practically just walked in my salon mm. and just started just doing hair yeah. some more. But I never did the... Just A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you yeah. know, the step from A to Z to get there. Mm-hmm. I just kept doing hair and everyone made sure that I was okay. You know, like, okay, here's, I mean, even down to finding my salon. We found a salon for you. Okay. Okay. This is where you get wow. your, your um, yeah. chairs at, you know, wow. they'll just deliver them. And I'm like, if you have money, sometimes it's just not good. Yeah. You, have, you can't be in business and have all this money and this gift with no wisdom. You know, yeah. I didn't have any. So on a personal note, Inside of myself, I was doing hair and sometimes would be like, how do I get in here? You know, because I didn't <laughs> do the steps that it took to get there and no one showed me. They just did it for me. Yeah. So later on, when I opened the salon in, in Atlanta, then I was like, I had to go down there myself. Yeah. To the city of Atlanta, get a business license. I didn't even know what to do. And sometimes when I was reading things, I really still wasn't comprehending things and yeah. everything. 
you know, I hid behind my gift and my pain a long time. Yeah. And you said something key, your parents or people who you were surrounded by, they didn't teach you financial things. And, and they I think- didn't know either. Like my mother only had a ninth grade right. education. My father worked for the steel mill, you know, and the railroad all those years. So, you know, it was just a struggle and hustle. You know, I come from a family that was in Black Panther, yeah. Hustlers, Hood. Yeah. You know, when you start seeing that money being made, you'd be like, what the hell? Like, mm-hmm. why do you need to <laughs> do all that other stuff? But you do need to do all that stuff because then what time I lost everything, then there was no one. When I lost all the money, it wasn't so popular. How now? And I know that that's why God pulled it all the way. It's time for you to be in business for real. And that's what in the hair industry that I try to stress so hard. Stop looking like you together and get it together for real. Oh, yeah. Stop having <laughs> a business and be about your business. Yeah. And that's what Panay is about. Yes. <laughs> and Stop I think, having um, a business and be about your business. I need to write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's a generational thing because even in our generation and really it's prevalent in the African-American community, our parents don't teach us about finances mm-hmm. either because they just don't think to or they don't know. They don't know. Um, so at some point, we have to figure out how do we do that? So being 19 and people handicapping you and basically doing everything for you, you come to Atlanta, open up another salon. What was that transition period like with you having to learn or Ooh. unlearn everything that you had learned to relearn what was proper? Well, my personal life was a lot of darkness happened. Mm-hmm. So I, when I came to Atlanta, let's talk about that a little bit, because, you know, a lot of times people see the glitz and the glamour on social media or interviews and stuff, and they don't really understand the backstory of what people have to go through to get to that highlight reel that everyone sees. So what are some of those obstacles that you had to go through? Unfortunately, <laughs> I dealt with uh, molestation at a very young age. Like mm-hmm. I never remember being a virgin. I'm celibate now for a long time, and it's a beautiful place to be in. I'm a very peaceful and very bold place. I feel amazing. So dealing with molestation from men and women, I had two very bad rapes, and I've dealt with homelessness. At nine, my family were homeless from a, a flood that happened in my hometown that took my city out. Just bullying. I was overweight. I was not the cutest little girl. So I got called ugly and fat, you know, just went through a lot. So that's, I grabbed onto the hair industry because that was my safe haven. That was Mm -hmm. the thing that just helped me through it all. And just dealing with abandonment from my father, just being the only girl and having only brothers, it was just so much pain. And Mm -hmm. it was like one thing just kept happening after another. And then the overeating and the food addiction and the overspending and just the promiscuous lifestyle that came with it from just trying to be loved, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's just a whole lot. All before I was 25, you know, I had already dealt with so many things. And um, then later on, I ended up having a a stroke that they told me I would never walk or talk again. Wow. But all that come from all the stress, not eating right, Mm -hmm. you know, just being all over the place. Yeah. So those are a lot of things I overcame. But by the time I got to Atlanta, after making, you know, back in the 80s, $2,500 a week, (laughs) I get to Atlanta with I get dropped off with $200, two suitcases, strung out on coke, (laughs) ended up being a crack addict and homeless. And I was walking around Atlanta with my hair bag and um, just stopping people and asking them, can I do their hair? I go, went to the mission. Of course, I met people there. I keep my hair done. They're mm-hmm. doing their hair. So in my hair, in my bag, and I'm just known for always carrying a bag, but I always stay ready. 
no matter what I was going through. I always had my hair equipment, some scissors, some curlers, <laughs> they ready gel, so you don't have to get ready. I can stop and do something. I always yeah. know, you know, to make money and to make sure that I stayed together through it all so that I could gravitate people to me so they could see what I'm about when yeah. I approach them or whatever. So I started off just in the streets and um, the shelters. And then someone one day was asking me for directions. That's how I got off the streets. But a young woman that I knew from my hometown, she let me stay with her for a little bit, but she put me out because she didn't know that the celebrity styles or the big time styles that she knew then came as an addict. So after about three weeks, she put me out. But she introduced me to some people. I went from being a platform artist, a salon owner and all this stuff to... Now she introduced me to her hairstylist that hires me. And that I didn't tell them that I'm Panay at the time. And that mm-hmm. I worked for all these. I had worked for Dudley's. I was a platform artist for Dudley. Oh, wow. I did their first volume one book, the cover. Like I've done all these magnificent things in the hair industry already. But when I got hired, I was just grateful to be in a salon. And yeah. she said, well, I can give you $125 a week to be my assistant. And I was like, does she know I, I would just make it? You know? <laughs> and I was like, I'll take it. So that money allowed me to survive 125 a week. I would never say who I was or what I've done. Back then, they wasn't filling out. It wasn't no Google. It wasn't no yeah. social media. So she had gave me the position. But one day, I was inside her salon shampooing, and a representative from Dudley University walks in, well, Dudley's a sales rep for products, and says, is that Panay? And then she looks at him and says, yeah, she's my assistant. And then she was like, how is she? Do you know who this is? She worked as a Dudley platform artist and she's done the cover of the first volume book for Dudley's and she's done this and this and so that is Panay Panay. Like, oh my God, they gave me a hug. And the owner was like, wow, like, who are you? <laughs> she said, I knew you were working fast. You were doing everything in a timely and so neat and together, whatever, but you never mentioned anything. But I was so broken. Yeah. I was, I learned then to humble myself and to humble. serve. Yeah. And I knew that to rebuild myself back up, it was going to take me to just be a servant, just serve unto God and anybody that would give me an opportunity. And that's how it all kind of got started. And then it was amazing. You know, once they recognized me, she knew who I was. And then she was, and then she's like, I feel so crazy having you just, <laughs> this is all you're making. So then I told her my truth, told her what happened. And then I kept the job. And then one day I walked into a nail shop and then someone that I worked with in Los Angeles. And that's why it's so important that you keep yourself together, no matter what you're going through. Yeah. No matter I was strung out, no matter that I felt depressed, I was sad. I had was a victim spirit that I was just carrying. You know, I still knew that I had to keep me together. Yeah. I had to look good, feel good, and do good in the presence of people in order to build my brand. And that's what kept me. That's how I got started. Can we rewind that for a second? I, <laughs> I want to actually listen to the interview you did with Vivid a few mm. months ago. And you said something. You said, because I knew what I wanted at five, I knew that I was being attacked. Mm. And that was in reference to everything that you just spoke about going through. Can you talk a little bit about having the vision and having the dream and how important that is to keeping you grounded when you're going through those trials yes. and tribulations? <sighs> I'm sorry. I just get a little emotional sometimes. Okay, so when I recognized my mother, that power of taking a woman that was crying or in pain and seeing her do the hair and then being someone that's watching TV Mm -hmm. and the movies and all the glam of the hair industry, that dream of getting behind, because, okay, the dream was... Who is behind those curtains? Like, why are these people coming out so glamorous and amazing? So the Mm -hmm. dream was to someday 
get on stage and be the person behind the curtain that was grooming the artist. Mm-hmm. Like I would see the entertainers, you know, being so fancy and all of a sudden they're, you know, dining and have all this makeup. I'm like, who's doing that? And I felt like I was going to get there one day. I knew it. So at five, those dreams were came to me. Mm-hmm. So when I was being attacked, maybe being bullied, when I was being sexually abused, when I was being teased and when I was just being depressed, my dream, the power of the dream kept me like, reminded me that this situation that I'm in is temporary because mm-hmm. one day I'm going to be doing celebrity hair. One day I'm going to be that person behind those curtains. So when that, even in transition of being beaten one time in, in domestic violence and you know, just being bullied at school, I would always just go, I would just, my dream would come to me and I would all, I always knew to write things down. I've been journaling like my whole life, mm-hmm. writing books and making little books about what I'm going to do. If you, because I did when I believed in my dreams so much and I believed in God so much that this is temporary. I'm coming out of this because he promised me like God promised me that one day I was going to be the person behind them curtains. Mm-hmm. It made it took 25 years later, but 25 years later, I was sitting behind the curtains of Soul Train Awards back there being able to look over at Michael Jackson and Heavy D. And I'm back there like. How did I get here? Because at five years old, God promised me that I would get behind those curtains. So you have to believe in your dream and you have to trust God. And that gives you the ability to know that no matter what you're enduring or what you're going through, that is temporary because you believe in that promise that God gave you through those dreams and your dreams speak to you. Yeah. They're talking to you and you just got to believe it and never let anything that you're going through wave you from that. So everything that I dreamt about, like when I was nine, I dreamt about because I was dealing with homelessness. I met people in missions work. Mm-hmm. So my family behind this big flood met these people in missions. So they introduced me to Africa and babies and all this. I mm-hmm. said, well, one day I'm going to be holding babies, you know, and <laughs> yeah. doing hair in Africa. So it took you over 13 years to get to Africa. Well, I, it took 30 years yeah. after wow. that. So just to say about the dream, yeah. the dream is powerful, so powerful that when I had my stroke and they told me I was never going to walk or talk again, I went back to the dream that I've been carrying. And, and most of my friends will tell you, this crazy fool will tell you, girl, I'm going to be in Africa one day <laughs> holding babies and doing hair. I'm getting there. I'm, that would always be my strength. They laughed at me, teased me. But when I had the stroke and they told me that I wasn't going to walk or talk again, six months after that, me and a woman in Nail salon at Tula Two Nail Salon. Shanita Foster was trying to get people to go to Africa. I love Shanita. Yeah, Shanita (laughs) was talking and was like, "I'm trying to get some women to go to Africa." Me and I didn't even know her. And I turned around, and I'm I'm barely walking at the time, not in a good place. I'm just just learned how to talk a little bit. And I said, I'll go. Do you know, I went there with Beyond the Game. I was able to sponsor a salon there. Six months after the stroke, they told me I wasn't going to walk or talk again. But when they told me I wasn't going to walk or talk again, I said, I'm going to walk or talk again because I didn't get to Africa yet. Mm-hmm. Then, yeah. my, even back my, to the dream. My girlfriend mm-hmm. was like, crazy. You still talking about that? But then six months afterwards, I was in Africa mm-hmm. holding babies, <laughs> doing hair, teaching them the women over there to do hair. So that's why, back to your question, those dreams give you strength. Those dreams are powerful, but you just cannot let nothing that you're dealing with wave you from believing them. Something that I think also kind of stood out in that interview to me along the same lines is don't try to figure out how you're going to live your dream. Now, I know you didn't think that it was going to take a stroke to get you to Africa. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think? Do you think when we try to figure out how we're going to live our dream that it hinders us from actually living and going through the process naturally of how yes. we're going to get to our dream? 
The main thing is to write it down, as I always journaled. I always believed it. The other thing is sometimes your dreams seem so big and so ridiculous, you know, stop sharing them. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just think that every day you should do something towards your goals and dreams, Mm -hmm. whether it's just researching. Like I became fascinated with Africa. I became fascinated with how do you be a, like get a part of missions. So it wasn't something that I shared with everybody. I just would work on different things. Even in the hair industry, I just did private research and just studying or, or pretending I had it. I just was like this person that really would act it out. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I believe that one day I would be talking to people, so I would be practicing in the mirror. Like, even if it's just taking a little bit of time every day to do that. But honestly, it's Psalms 37 and 4. God says, delight thyself in me, and I will give you desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. And that has helped me my entire career. When I start trying to work so hard on my dreams and my goals and it's not working and it don't feel like I'm going in the right direction, sometimes you just have to be still mm-hmm. and know that he is God. And it says in his words, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto thee. So they would be like, girl, I'm, I'm on drugs now. I'm a crack addict and I'm all these crazy things and I've been abused and I've been just in a hopeless state. But when I tell you, I still love God mm-hmm. and I still believe in his word and I stand on it like no matter what. That's the secret to me. God is working it all out. You just keep trying to be that person that you know he's calling you to be. Yeah. If you're smart at speaking and communicating, then work and perfect that. Don't concentrate on where you're going. Have it written down. Pray about it. But stay in tune with God, what he expects of you. And it just seems like it just starts moving better. Because yeah. when I try to take things in my own hands oh, yeah. and I'm not in tune with God, <laughs> I'm connected to all kinds of fools, idiots, people that ain't got nothing to do. And I always knew the importance of your circle. Hang around people that's going where you're trying to go. Definitely. Sometimes it's a lonely place. You have to start learning how to just enjoy being by yourself. And I wasn't like that at first. But when you're pursuing your dreams and your goals, it is lonely sometimes. And then when you do interact and have to, you know, collaborate with people, make sure that they celebrate you and make sure that they have something to do with where you're going or else you're wasting your own time. (laughs) That's very true. So when you turned 25 and you got your salon in Atlanta, what were some of the things that you learned from having that salon at 19 when it comes to maintaining the Mm -hmm. salon? So I know you said like a lot of people did everything for you when you Mm -hmm. had your first salon. And when you came to Atlanta, you had to do a lot on your own. So what were just some of those key things that if somebody was wanting to open up a hair salon Mm -hmm. now, you would tell them? Wow, I didn't. And at 19, I wasn't greeting my clients. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I learned that that's very important. That makes a difference in business. Definitely. (laughs) Uh, Can you greet your clients sometimes, honey? (laughs) Um, And I was always fashionably in makeup. I was always together, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't greeting my clients. That's something I did differently. Knew the importance of making sure that people wanted a good environment. I've always made sure I had good tools and I knew how to do the techniques. But then that's when I got into really decorating, making sure that the bathroom was amazing yeah. and every room was amazing. And you get those corners and you sweep up after each client. You know? <laughs> so those are some things. And making sure I was about the business and making sure that I build a relationship with the client and not just do their hair and send them on their way. Yeah. So I started making sure I memorized their birthdays because, you know, we didn't have all like, well, they probably had it, but I wasn't into it still then. But making sure... 
that when such and such came in that I remembered that, say if Miss Laura came in and her son's birthday is, I even would remember that. Those kind of different yeah. things. Like, oh, so your son Roger, his birthday's next Friday, right? But I, you know, building I'm, that I'm relationship. writing that damn building yeah. relationships, like really getting that. And they was like, how oh, you remember that from last year? Mm-hmm. Don't know. I got my little notes by their names, you know. So, <laughs> but those t- different types of things, and then understanding that the salon is a place where people should feel safe and feel amazing. Definitely, you know yeah. what I mean. So, this starting to create an atmosphere and trying to get control of it because we were so stereotyped to have these. Oh, you have to have all these people coming in selling stuff, doing this and that, and just be like a big hangout place. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create an atmosphere where we could kind of have that, but have some order with it. Yeah. So it was challenging at first, very challenging to get control of the business, but I, I've accomplished it. Yeah. So it, it was a, a plus for me and a minus because they say, you don't want to work for Panay because she wants to make sure the floor stays clean <laughs> the whole time. And she's always walking around checking everything. But yeah, it, it was some positive and some negative towards trying to turn the hair salon People need to know that it needs to be a business as well. Definitely. You know, so yeah. To, yeah. And where at in Buckhead is the salon located? Oh, it's 3085 East Shadowlong. Yes. Buckhead. <laughs> and it's a dream come true. I used to walk the streets there and pray and wish that I could be there one day. And it took 20 years to get there. I've been down in the Buckhead area for about five years and I never would let the dream go. And I've had at least four or five salons before I got there. And God is good. I'm there. And I had a salon in my hometown was in a house. And mm-hmm. I always would say in my dream that I would have it in a house in Buckhead. And yes. It did happen. It did happen. I'm there. It's an amazing place. We do hair, lashes, fashion. We have a whole team of amazing experts. They're not just playing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They did not come to play. They got license (laughs) and they're amazing. I have my daughter in there, my sister, and some, this is amazing, like family affair. So you say, listening to you talk, how you talk about your your salon now yes. versus your salon when you were 19. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me think of, mom, if you're listening, like, <laughs> I said, you know, it makes me think of whenever I would be like, mom, like, I want a new car. And my mom would be like, girl, you don't keep the car you have now clean. Yeah. Like, you're not showing appreciation for what I yep. already gave you. Yeah. Why do you need a new car for when you? you're not taking care yeah. of what you have. And but that's when so- God blesses you with something, if yeah. he sees that you're not, like, when you talk about, like, the pride on your face when you talk about sweeping the floor. Yeah. Yes. The pride when you talk about taking care of your clients oh with just God. knowing their birthdays. Yeah. That's yes, how you I'm keep in the clients. Yeah. Like at late at night or no one else has to clean it. I have someone that helps me. His name's John. He's amazing. But I am hands on. And that's the other thing. You do hair, you make all this money, you got all this, this and that. Never don't take your hands off your business. Definitely. I'm cleaning. I'm making sure it looks good. I'm making I'm in that bathroom cleaning it down, all in the back of it. I'm just hands on from the top to the bottom as far as the marketing team. And when you're not smart at something, when you have a salon, hire people to do what they do best, yep. but then be a part of it. Make sure you, just, you understand that teamwork does make the dream work. Yeah. You know? yeah and that's what people want to see. People want to see like the owner still being hands yeah, on. I'm they want to see. And they yeah. know I hug and talk to all the clients. They're <laughs> yeah. all my clients. They're all my babies. Cause I'm, the one, <laughs> you know, cause I'm the one praying and fasting for this thing. You know, So when they walk in, whether they're coming to I Am Nails or Style Rock or Danny's Closet or Jenny B or Sierra, you know, I have Ayana there. Like I, they're, clients but they're my babies like, yeah. like Lord, look how you just working this thing out you yes know? yes so going back can you remember one of your favorite projects that you worked on or said or whatever it may be 
I don't have a favorite. All of it is have been overwhelming. Uh-huh. <laughs> so amazing. I mean, I only can name one. <laughs> no. Well, you can give or, us a few. Yeah, talk about your first one. What was My your first, first, like, huge after, you know, after you got down to Atlanta, what was your first well, huge celebrity? My or? first huge one, of course, is my godfather, Barry White, just mm-hmm. doing his hair and keeping his beautiful hair together. Yeah. But I would say one of my favorites is Ruby D. And also working with, like, Ruby D was amazing because I watched her as a little girl. Uh-huh. And her husband, this love relationship and acting and actresses and all this kind of stuff. That was beautiful because that was a dream. Yeah. And then I couldn't believe when I got the call. I'm like, they're kidding because isn't she retired out of this game? <laughs> so I got her like she was chilling. And then they just pulled her out a little retirement to do this play. <laughs> and so anyway, that was one. And then working with the Steve Harvey in the morning show, mm-hmm. that was the most fun, you yeah. know, because I learned about balance of entertainment and personal life. Of course, everyone knows where Steve is today mm-hmm. and um, with Shirley, Carly, and Tommy. What they did for me was show me that phrase I always used, making moves through the madness. Yeah. Because I was able to have a personal relationship with all them. At the same time, see that when it came time to do that morning show and we were recording the show, the TV show, The Project, they turned off whatever they were going through, mm-hmm. did their show, entertained the world. They yeah. had 8 million listeners. And they was about the business. And then I was like, that's what people need to learn to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, do that. And I learned a lot from them. So they were funny. They were, they, like, how you know, it's some personal things that may have been going on in all their lives. But yeah. then you come on there and you have to make people laugh. I mm-hmm. learned that. That's where I learned make moves in the madness. Like, I love that. Make moves in yeah, the madness. Yeah, so um, I really thank the morning show for the great opportunities. And then they allowed me to meet. I mean, you know, you have Boris Kojo coming in and Nene Leakes and people they were interviewing and all these amazing people like Forrest Whitaker, you know. They're having all these interviews, but every morning they were wait- I was waking up to them, like, and I thought they were coming to me. <laughs> oh, and they came near with Panay. I was like, oh, God, like every time they would interview somebody, it was like, I remember wishing that I could meet this person. Yeah. So that was the most fascinating. And um, Shirley Seizure. Because <laughs> that's like the grandma McGosky. She is. <laughs> she is. But yeah, anyway, it's just so many people. Yeah. But they're all so amazing. Like yeah. even the lady that worked at the cleaners up the street. Everyone's just so amazing to me. Yeah, when I, I think, read that you worked at, with Deborah Lee. I was like, oh, fan that, girl. <laughs> man. So, uh, I, that was like the big like, people would be like, no, you've done such and such here. No, Deborah Lee. Because when you ever watch BET Awards, they yeah. keep showing her face. I said, mm-hmm. I was like, who's that who lady? <laughs> and they would always show her face. And so it became like a little vision of mine, a little personal dream. I would be like, I'm going to do her hair one day because yeah. they keep honoring her every time the BET Awards come. And then one day I was on a set somewhere and they said, Panay, can you take care of Deborah Lee? And my eyes was like, you would have thought it was like Jesus. I said, Deborah Lee. <laughs> And I got called to do her hair, and she kept me on for a long time. A long time, she would call, and they would request me to take care of her hair. And she never really knew that I was just sitting there like it was like, like, because <laughs> I, I kept seeing that camera go to her through the award show. They do yes. show her a lot, you know. Yes. But I'm a beauty concierge, and that's what differentiates me from others. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a. That's the thing that I really would like people in the hair industry to know that we're concierges, and that's what I call my total beauty concierge. Here to serve. I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about this new book that you just released in March. Living Past Your Pain to Live Your Dream. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. Living past your pain to live your dreams with Panay Akperu. And my co-writer is Candace Davis. Mm-hmm. And my team is Adam Red Agency and my family. I've taken them through so much. Mm-hmm. But this was a seven-year journey of getting this book out. Um, it's amazing. It's powerful. And it's um, something that you will keep a part of your life. It's I wrote it. I had to tell my truth. Yeah. And if God allowed me to overcome so many challenges, I said he can do this for other people. Allow me the strength and the courage to write these things out, these steps so that I could help other women how God has helped me. So this book is everything. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. What was the process like writing the book? Show it to the camera. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, I forgot. Okay. Okay. Hey, yeah, but the process is amazing. This book, the process, first of all, just getting it out because Mm -hmm. you you start hearing those voices. Oh, well, what makes you think you can be an author, you know, when Mm -hmm. you could barely do this and this Mm -hmm. and that. So I was like, because God said, you know, but the process of just getting it out. Candace did a very good job in pulling my story out because I just really didn't know. But like I said, when you can't do something very well, stop trying. Just hire people to do the right thing. So Candace Mm -hmm. was amazing having her love, support and patience. But the hardest thing was... Once I started writing the book, it opened up some wounds yeah, and some maybe. things that I was going through. And then, uh, of course, I didn't want to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. So then I had kept taking some steps back because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't, even though it's a tell-all, that I wasn't putting names in. I didn't want to offend yeah. because I have forgiven my abusers. I have forgiven myself. But I need to learn how to get it on paper where it was showing that I was no longer a victim Yeah, and that I have forgiven these people and I wanted when those people would read the book I wanted to make sure that they knew I had forgiven them and that I wanted to set them free at the same time Mm -hmm. so it was a lot of phases to getting this book and the process out and then one other main thing was to make sure that the reader was going to be transformed I didn't want to just inspire people and motivate them and hype them all up Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that when you were done reading these 21 chapters that you were changed. Yeah. So then that made me have to keep going back and changing it because although the book says Panay at parole, it's not just about me. It's about you mm-hmm. and making sure that you are recovered, healed, transformed and inspired all in one. And then making sure that I was transparent all the way. And so the seven years took so long because I kept telling like 70 and 80% of my story because I was a little ashamed of some choices I had made in the mm-hmm. past. I was like one chapter, there's a serious story about being raped. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to tell my truth, like own my responsibilities. When that Holy Spirit was telling me, don't go in there with him. But mm-hmm. I was weak to my flesh. I wanted to be touched. I did want to have a relationship with someone, not knowing that it was going to turn into that. Yeah. But if I would have yielded to the Holy Spirit, you hear it sometimes saying no, and you just still want that food or still yeah. want that man. Yeah. And then all of a sudden that man's beating you or cheating or you're lying to you. You'd be like, and the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me that truth. I was keeping that part out. I was being a victim still in, in the process of writing the book. Like, honey. The Holy Spirit told you don't go in there. And you just kept on going, you know. So things like that, that's why it took long. And then following last year, I was totally healed and totally was like owning up my responsibility and just owning it. And I wrote it out 100% truth. I didn't care if I was embarrassed. I didn't care if I was going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. 
I didn't care anymore. I was just like, I just got to help people. And then once I got it out, people were telling me they was, were going through the same yeah. things. And it's like, I wasn't alone. Did the book ever like make you think like maybe I need to talk to someone professionally or like maybe seek a therapy? Or do you think that the book was therapeutic? The book is was therapeutic, the journey, but I've mm. always sought help. My mom had me with help since I was a kid. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> I strongly believe that you need to have help, yes. counseling and therapy. I was introduced to therapy at a young age because my dreams were so ridiculous. My mom thought I was crazy. She was really? crazy. Wow. <laughs> so my mom was like, maybe she needs somebody to talk to, you know. Wow. But, wow. So I've always been a firm believer of counseling, whether it's in the church or a professional psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Go talk to somebody and yeah. get it all out. So do you think that going to therapy helped you in the process of your healing? Yes. Is that a a vital instrument in that? It's a vital instrument. It's very important because I always felt like I'm amazing. I'm a professional and I am truly here changing lives through hair. Mm -hmm. I studied this. I'm not just making money. You know, I'm transforming lives and the creativity is flowing through me, even in my spirit. So I believe and have the same respect for someone else that practices and study to help people do their trials and their tribulations and their pain. Yeah. So I believe that therapy and counseling is very important. And even when my mom would take me to programs, whether it was just going to the Boys and Girls Club, that yeah. was therapeutic. Therapy, yeah. Or just having a private session with therapy. It's important. So what do you think? Because you mentioned, you know, it was hard for you to write the book because you felt like you were only telling like 70%, 80%. But as someone who's like had to sit in a therapy session, you know, like and just not to waste your time or the therapist's time, you got to tell 100%. Right. What do you think was like the obstacle with that 30% when it went from like a therapy session to you actually getting it down on paper in the book? Of giving the whole truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Stop being fake. Just be transparent if you truly have a heart to helping people. Mm-hmm. I knew how bad I felt not being honest with myself and dealing with my relationship with God and mm-hmm. what really happens. And becoming a victor and no longer a victim, mm-hmm. how am I going to help other women be a victor and not be a victim? Mm-hmm. I have to tell the truth. The integrity in my relationship with the book and my reader that's what happened. I That's it. Integrity. Yeah. I just wanted to be able to hold my book up and know that I have integrity and that I really care. Yeah. And I really want you to be changed. Yeah. And be healed. That was what did it. Like, you say you want sisterhood and, you know, women supporting women and all this and that. And there ain't nobody being real. So much. It's a lot of, you know, I'm being real. There's so many fake women out here yeah. <laughs> and people and organizations and you know, and I just felt like hurt people hurt people, and I feel like God healed me, and I'm going to go around and help heal people. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So. And you touch on on something key in your book. One of the chapters is measure yourself against your own standard. And I think we live in a society right now where people are in competition with other people, and we're looking at everyone else's success, and we can't even reach our own success because we're comparing to someone else, and that's why we can't get there. So talk to us a little bit about that chapter and what made you include that in your book. What made me include that was because I see a lot of women being hard on themselves, Mm -hmm. and then I'm like, well, you're not celebrating yourself through your journey enough because you keep looking around at other people, whether it's your weight, whether it's your career. And I just 
felt like I have to put that in there because you got to celebrate those little wins yeah. because they're going towards your path and your goal and your journey. And sometimes when you look at someone else and they might be living in a bigger car, bigger house or whatever, or they might have this man that looks like they have of their dream and things are not happening for you. You're allowing depression to take over you and all these things for unnecessarily because mm-hmm. you're looking at other people, but God has his own timing for you. Mm-hmm. So if you stay on your path, and don't look to the left or to the right, then you'll be celebrating every day. Like people always say, Panay's always amazing and always smiling. Always, Yeah, because I ain't looking over there because what God has for her is for her. What yep. God has for what me is for me. For me you know yeah. what I mean? I'm not sitting around thinking because I don't have what they have that I'm not successful. Right. Like I am successful every day. First of all, he opened up my eyes. I'm working on my projects. I'm just like, I'm winning. I'm winning. Like, and I'm looking at them like I'm, I'm inspired. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I'm not measuring myself against Definitely. them. Definitely. And you got... This is have to stop doing that. Yeah. Because it will depress you. And you'll feel like you might see someone that lost weight faster than you. And you'll be like, you don't know she didn't have the sleeve done and got the pro- <laughs> you don't know what she didn't did. You know, <laughs> the sleeve. <laughs> you know, they had surgeries done and all that. You cannot do that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm Definitely. just keeping it real. Like you, you just can't. They driving this and living here and doing this. And you don't know how they grew. You know, God is blessing and the devil's blessing folks too. So <laughs> very true. I'm just being real. You just have to just stay. Measure yourself against yourself. Yeah. And say, I'm a, I just thank God. Like, I have some things that I've predicted and I wanted to happen by this date right here. And it didn't happen. Yeah. As I'm sitting here being transparent. Then I'm like, well, God, you must have it for me later. But let me celebrate the fact that last year this time, yeah. this is what wasn't going on. But now yeah. look what's going on. <laughs> last year this time, this book, I was trying to get it out and couldn't get it out. But I'm holding it in my hand. And I'm on the cover with that red on. Like I promised my mama 20, I, 20 years ago, I would say I would do things and wear her favorite color. Is your favorite color red? My mom's okay. favorite color. <laughs> and I would tell her when I decided to write the book. But when I was little, I used to write books like, you know, small, mm-hmm. like a little kid. I would put red. But look, I'm 55 years old in, a, in about a week, and I got read on, on a book that I've been trying to write my whole life. Yes. But, so I just start celebrating that. Now, am I upset at the things that I was trying to do right now? Yeah, a little bit, <laughs> but I got over it. I just start celebrating the fact that I'm not where I used to be. Yep, I love it. I love it. So tell people where can they purchase your book? Oh, at uh, another celebration. I have my web- amazing website up yes. by um, Adam Red. <laughs> but I have an amazing website at com. They could get it there. They can also get it on Amazon. Amazon.com. So it's at com, And All it's $20. Right. And we will put um, the link to purchase the book in the show notes as well as her website and social media handles too. Um, do you want to tell us what your social media handles are? Yes, Panay at Salam Panay. Yeah. And then that's um, Instagram. Okay. And I am Salam Panay on, on Insta- Twitter. On yeah. Twitter. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we'll yeah. put those um, links in the show notes I'm as sorry. well. No, you're fine. And before we go, someone, they're really interested in getting started in the hair industry. They don't know where to start or they're kind of like, ah, I don't know if this is what I want to do. I'm kind of scared. What is that one piece of advice that you would share with them? First of all, be sure what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Secondly, to get in the hair industry, mm-hmm. go to school for sure. Don't just do hair. Yeah. And have a meeting with me. <laughs> <laughs> Contact people that are doing well in the business Definitely. that you admire mm-hmm. and, and you see that are successful for real and consult with them. Don't just move around just not knowing what to do, but seeking counsel really helps. And write down what you see and feel. Write it down and make that plain and then 
just go one by one and take those steps and, and go after it. But you have to write it down because some people want to be in the hair industry and just want to have a work in a salon. You you might want to be in the hair industry and someday have a product. <laughs> know exactly what you want. Have a clear plan yeah. and then contact people that are successful in those areas and connect with them and change your circle. Get Involved, go to classes. Yeah, it's all involved in the hair industry. Really seek wisdom and guidance, like, like seriously, because a lot of people are in the hair industry, but you want to be about the business so that yes. you can be successful for real. <laughs> yes, yes, I love it. I had so much fun hanging yes. out with Miss Panay today. Your story is amazing. Your spirit is so genuine and authentic, and I love it. Um, shout out to Shay for holding it down with me today. Thanks for Make sure me. you guys like and subscribe to Hair Biz Radio. Until next time.